0: We will take to task the recovery society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts research and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings rehabs and the shackles of endless recovery let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free welcome to the truth it's time for you and those you love to step off the addiction roller coaster for good and learn a solution that works. It's called Move Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a free one hour live online class where you'll hear new and empowering information about how to solve addiction for good without steps, meetings, rehabs, or being labeled for life. If you're struggling or you love someone who is, then this masterclass is for you. To enroll in this free one-hour class, click the link provided or go to thefreedommodel.org and choose the date and time that works for you. See you at the masterclass.
1: Hey, everybody. My name is Mark Sheeran, and this is
0: Michelle Dunbar, and we wrote The Freedom Model for Addictions along with our colleague Stephen
1: Slate and The Freedom Model for the Family. That's right, and uh, I just want to say that I have a pretty wicked cold. So <laughs> if I start sneezing, we'll try and edit it out. But uh, I have tissues here, but I'm probably going to cough a little bit. Yeah, such as tis
0: the season, yeah, so to speak. We're we're in right; it's getting cold here in New York. So, so first of all, before we start, we have to tell you all about our masterclass. It's called Move Past Addiction Masterclass. It's completely free. We offer it every single week. And all you have to do is go click on the QR code, which is right over there. On me. It, now, the QR code is for people, obviously, who are watching this on YouTube. Um, you can see the QR code in the corner. If not, you can go to thefreedommodel.org and this annoying pop-up comes up. <laughs> but it it, 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 all you have to do is click on it to register for the masterclass, you register for the date that works for you. Now, if you can't attend it live, because it's usually offered at noon Eastern time, if you can't attend it live, register anyways, and the replay will be available for you later.
1: Yeah. It's a a pretty amazing, it's the best hour that you're going to spend. We will frame out how to get past an addiction uh, without meetings, without re- endless recovery, without yeah. endless mat regimens, without any of the apparatus rehabs, any of it. Um, but we'll also give you examples, two examples of how we teach in the freedom Model online program. You'll actually have two lessons. We will debunk two of the biggest myths uh, right with you. Yep. and uh, and there's a whole bunch of little content and then we'll uh, give you a, a tutorial on our options. Uh, on how to help you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We have a number of different learning options for people, uh, depending on what your needs are, depending on what your financial situation is. We have a solution for you. Yeah. Um, So what we're going to talk about today is uh, there's this idea in treatment, addiction treatment in AA, NA, and a lot of different recovery programs that you have to change every little thing about your life. Um, I was told in the beginning I would have to leave the job I was at because um, my boss and I used to drink together all day at work. Um, I was told I had to leave my old friends behind, that I would have to Basically change every little thing about my life to solve my substance use problem. Now, the irony is, as many of you know who listen to this podcast, I quit drinking on my own almost a week prior. Um, But once I got to AA, pretty much they want you to shed everything, right? And so we're going to talk a little, we're going to talk about, is that necessary? Is it necessary to change everything?
1: Well, there's this interesting phenomenon that Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, did, which is the the basis of all treatment and why this is such a pervasive idea that you have to change everything, and that is that he attached drinking, the activity of drinking, to and inappropriately, by the way, he attached it to everything in your life. So, yes. so when you were when you were thinking about your job when you were thinking about your relationships when you were thinking about your spirituality if you had any um, if you were thinking about your physical fitness, if you were thinking about your social arrangements, your sex life, all of it was somehow impregnated with this idea that alcoholism had some effect on it or was driven by it back and forth and so he he did what we call learned connections he connected with connective tissue you know life, with drinking and and it became a universal thought that your drinking was a part of every part of your psyche your internal life your thought life and your career your relationships everything so once that's established aa became the cult that you had to enter in order to un- unplug all of this stuff and solve it And, and, and he did it in a very weird way, which is a different topic entirely. But do you have to change your whole life? That's, that's the question. Take my watch off.
0: (laughs) Well, and so even, even non 12 step type programs see it this way as well, and kind of tie the substance use problem to so many other problems in your life.
1: So let, let me jump in there. That's called holistic treatment. Yes, that's where they they give it a snazzy little name, holistic treatment, all right?
0: Yeah. so because you because they tie it to, Oh, you have all these underlying issues that are causing your substance use problem. Um, and just so we know, the freedom model debunks all of this, even the underlying causes part is chapters five and six in our book. Um so this idea, and and I gotta I gotta go even past this. So even after you stop drinking and drugging, okay, even after you stop doing that. Now you're in the recovery. You're in recovery in some way, shape, or form. All life problems still become tied to it, don't they?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the they say that the resentment is the root of all issues, is a classic AA line. Resentment has nothing to do with drinking. I mean, you can be a pissed off drinker. Yeah. I, I, I certainly played that game. But is it the root of all my issues in life? I, I don't even... I mean, I'm, how many pissed off sober people did we meet? <laughs> I I don't even know if it, it ranks in my top ten of problems. I'm not a no, pissed, I was never. You were never really like that. No, <laughs> I I really wasn't. I mean, yeah. If so, anybody
0: was gonna be, it would have been him because you got the shit beat on.
1: You. I did, I did. <laughs> I yeah. So I I think that um, there's there's just a weird phenomenon with it, and and that's because. Bill Wilson and the treatment complex, we call it the Recovery Society, tied everything, Bill Wilson wow. originally to a first century Christian movement. And so it was a moral issue. Oh, yeah. And once you get into morality, morality does affect all areas of your life as a concept. It's it's your code in life. So, so when you tie drinking as a moral failing and that it's a spiritual problem, boy, do you wrap it up into an all-encompassing problem. So then if you're going to get sober, you have to literally flip your life upside down and let go of what? People, places, and mm. things. This, so people, your relationships, places, your geographic location, your job, your career, and things, literally the car you drive in and the things you're attached to emotionally, like your goods, your home, and all of that, all of it needs to change according to this moralistic theory. And I read—I did this. I did too. I, do you know that that the the day that I was kicked out of my house, the first day I was sober and then I, I detoxed, I came back home for a weekend. My father said, you can't be here. You're no longer a part of this family. You've cost me too much money, too much reputation. It was a very hard conversation. You know what I did? I went and I collected all the memorabilia and memories and clothes and photo albums and all the stuff about my partying days. I really regret this too. My entire youth, I put it in a trash barrel and I burned it. And I grabbed what little clothes I had left, put it on my back, back and left because i was taught this geographic people places and things thing since i was a little kid and i knew that the day i got sober mm-hmm. i said i have to let go of everything now in a weird way that was helpful to me only because of how fucked up my life was at home right but i don't know many people that had a home life like i had i don't this in my case I don't think I had to be that radical. I think that's fucking crazy. Okay. Um, I think leaving and going out and exploring the world at 19 years old was the natural progression. I don't think I had to be radical about it. I have no memories, no record of memories of my past prior to 20 years old because of this. It's all in my memory. And now that the house and the farm is all gone. I literally, when I go to my hometown, it's as if my whole existence didn't exist. That's how radical AA was in my life. Yeah. And, and that's, that's nuttiness. That's cult. Okay. Erase everything that is you. Think about that. I
0: know. I know. I, you know, when I think about the the first, I, I was probably the first few weeks that I was sober, right. That I was going to meetings and I don't, you probably remember this. Um, I, I was working to erase things because, and, and, because I was told that I had to do that, and one of my roommates from college was gonna had a job interview in Albany, and she was I from Michigan. That. You remember? I remember that. Yeah. And um, I won't say her name, right. but um, but I remember she called me, and she was like, "Hey, can I stay with you for the weekend? Um, I'll bring some really good weed, and we'll we'll hang out. It'll be a good weekend." And and I was and I didn't know what to say. I was like, "Oh, okay." Okay yeah and the truth was there was a part of me that I really did want to see her mm-hmm. I really did want to see her yeah. um and I I I was nervous but I wasn't nervous I was nervous about her coming because I was told I should be but I had no desire to smoke weed with her um I had no desire to go partying with her. Like, I, I didn't want to do that. Now, I felt bad that I wasn't going to tell her. Well, the minute I, I let the cat out of the bag that she was coming, oh, my God, you would have thought, you know, the people in AA were like, oh, you would have thought that I was inviting an axe murderer into my yeah, house.
1: I remember that. You
0: know, and yeah. and everybody, I was shunned. Everybody was like, oh, you, you're you obviously going to go off. You're obviously going to go out mm-hmm. again. and And I'm like, no no, I'm, I'm really not. And, um, and I remember I had Bob, <laughs> if anything, it pushed me to uh, who I ended up marrying. Um, I had Bob come with me to pick her up at the airport. And we took her out to dinner and, and it it was good to have somebody there that was like, that I could be like, you know what? I'm not doing that stuff anymore, but I would love to have you spend the weekend with me. We had a great time. Yeah. You know, we, it was a great weekend. And, and like I said, it wasn't difficult for me. I was done with that lifestyle. You know, when you, when you're ready to make a change and you're motivated to make a change, you make the change. But everything told me that that could, that wasn't possible that it wasn't possible that it could be that easy.
1: Well, it's interesting because if you separate the alcohol use from behaviors, if you were able to to do this, and I think this is important, and say to yourself, okay, in my case, my lifestyle from seven years old until I was 18 years old was in basically a drug house, our house, because we had no parents. So we were in this house in the woods. And then our father's house was attached through an atrium, but he never came in the side of the, the, what we called the kid's house. And the kid's house became, it had its own driveway, its own entrance, its own sidewalk through the woods. It was re- very bizarre. Um, and, and because of that, I think that for me, there was no real redeeming feature of my home life that didn't include alcohol, drugs, and the chaos right. of that. That's a very rare situation. Now I have met obviously doing this for 34 years. I I can definitely relate with kids that grew up in a crack house. I can definitely, mine wasn't quite that bad, but it was, it was a party house. Uh, That's all, you know, and when you grow up there, there's a lot of bad memories, a lot of loneliness and a lot of violence and, and a lot of sexual activity that was inappropriate. There was all kinds of really fucked up stuff there. And I wanted to leave that. I wanted to. So when I got to AA, it was my excuse to take that step and they encouraged that. So I fit into the mold quite seamlessly for the AA model because I wanted to now, but I've also seen lives utterly destroyed where people didn't grow up that way. You know, you didn't grow I didn't. up that way at all. Most people do not grow up in an isolated fucking drug house from age seven. No. So, so for me, leaving was a relief and it was a boon to my, to my success. But, but it's, but my case is one in a million, man. It is not common. So I see people who have absolutely wonderful wives and husbands, children, and ironically, Before our house was that, when I was a little, little kid, before we had moved into that weird house where we were separated from our parents, I had a good life with my parents when they were together. And my mom went to AA and she separated herself. This is where this whole idea came from. Yes. Yes. And it destroyed our family. We had a good home life. Yeah. We were all together.
0: Well, that's the thing. If you attach, I mean, the stress of having 12 children, if you attach the stress of, of a marriage that's in turmoil, if you attach these things to, well, this all made me drink, this is my problem. Um, then, then you don't try to solve those problems. Right. You leave those problems behind. And, and it's, and it's a sad thing because, because you know, Maybe she, was she, you know, maybe she was happier that way. I, I don't know, but, but I, that seems like a, an unreasonable sacrifice to make specifically because it's not necessary.
1: Right. There's no requirement, which is what AA makes it be. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Because it attaches all of these things. I mean, I was led to believe that the relationships that I built in my substance using days were invalid. We're not, we're not real.
1: Yeah. I was they, told the same thing. You
0: know? <laughs> and, and it's like, that's, that turned out not to be the case at all, at all. I mean, the people that I interacted with, um, were some of the greatest people in my, that I had known in my life. They helped shape my life. And certainly my home life was not amazing. When I was a kid there, we had a lot of issues in you know, in our home, we had a lot of issues after my father got sober. We had bigger issues after my father got sober in A than we did before.
1: Yeah, destroyed my family
0: completely. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, because there was also this idea that that, well, you your sobriety has to come first. So you have to become very selfish in that way. Self-centeredness is what got you here. According to AA. according to A, but you have to become selfish. <laughs> to stay sober
1: well it is a program of contradictions (laughs) so so (laughs) such bullshit it
0: it was like it made like it was it made no sense and and so now what I want to talk about is so what what do you do what do you do what do you do if if you know like the job that I had the job that I had was with my best friend's mother and I helped run her mailing house for her And so I had a job where I could, I could pretty much drink throughout the day. And at that point I was kind of at a low point in my life. Um, and, but could I have stayed at that job and not drank? Absolutely. Absolutely. There was no reason I had to abandon her, which I ended up doing like at kind of at a tough time in her life, which was incredibly selfish of me. And if I look back now, I would think I probably wouldn't have done that the same way knowing what I know now. Um, but what do you do, you know, if you're somebody that you were told this, that I, you know, how do I, well, how do I stay sober when I'm still with the people that I was drinking with? Well, here's mm, what's funny ab-
1: about my situation and, and countless others. So the very, where I detoxed was at, at the college that, so I crashed the car, quit drinking and drugging that night, cold Turkey, bad idea. <laughs> I should have went to <laughs> detox. I'd been in detox before, like a year prior to that for a couple of days. So I knew the process. And and I didn't go to detox. I went back to the college dorm room. And then there was a, a public bathroom in the dorm. And it had a, a tub that w- had its own door that you could lock. And so I went in there for three days and, and was pretty sick um, and got through that. But then I kind of emerged out of that physically okay, pretty weak and shot, but in the very exact room with the same people for the next two weeks that were practically spilling beer all over me. I mean, it was a total drunk fest and drug fest, which was, and then I was going to return home for a little while. I didn't know this, um, to the same place that I had been in a drug house my whole life. And so my first month of quote unquote sobriety of abstaining was in the very places that were where i had my worst benders and nothing but bad memories but i didn't drink i didn't drink and then and then i was cast out of that homeless and i didn't drink mm. and and so what i realized about my experience and the countless people i've worked with is it seems like none of that shit matters if you want to quit drinking all the superfluous advice my dad was giving me AA people were giving me the treatment centers were giving me. You got to cut these people off. You got to do this. What's interesting is the hmm. three friends that I had that I did my worst partying with was her husband or uh, yeah, her husband. He um, was not my husband then. I didn't ra- know him. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm so foggy. Um, and, uh, Ah, uh, my best friend from childhood. We were literally in cribs together, so we partied wickedly together. His name is Bill. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and then uh, my brothers, and then another friend, all of whom AA said you gotta get rid of. Here's what's interesting. I quietly kept them in my life.
0: He did. He did. He's still I, close to them to this day. Yeah.
1: I quietly was like I mean,
0: Bill ends up being one of our best friends. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I and and for whatever reason. And it's not like they all stopped partying. Bob did kind of when I did, but Bill didn't and, no. and never has. He's no nope. not, but he's not a heavy partier. But we now we now party together. Up. Yeah. Now we party together like twice a year at my birthday and New Year's. We get drunk or whatever. And, but it's calm, it's fun. And uh, we might moderately drink a couple of times a year together. And a lot of times we don't drink at all. We go to concerts right. together and stuff. Just hang out. Yeah. It's just a normal thing. But I, I think about that now and, and everybody, I manipulated that situation because I was like, you know what? I'm not letting go of these friendships, man. It's all I got. I yeah. love these people. And, um, so here's what I know. And I was thinking about this when Michelle was talking, I'm sorry to commandeer the microphone. No, it's Okay. Life is not this sort of rule-driven black and white thing. When people start telling you black and white solutions like people, places, and things, you must get rid of them, that shit is not real. It's not based in any reality because you need to determine what's important to you and not connect it to drinking. If something is inherently connected to drinking and you've made it that way, for instance – Mm. I did break up with a girlfriend the day after the car accident because I knew our relationship was completely, 100% based in partying and sex. And and I really just, it was dissatisfying. And, and once the alcohol was gone, there really was no glue there because that's the basis of what we were doing. and And so that went away. And I, I didn't need AA to tell me that. I did that on my own. Right,
0: right. You, you know, I was like, right. I got to
1: get out of that shit. That, that, that it is just felt wrong to you. Yeah. So I, I think that one of the things that oh, I, God, we want our that. audience to think about is, you're not dumb. You're, yeah. You're, you're not. You don't need a sponsor to tell you who you can be with and who you can't be with. If you have a relationship with somebody and it's uh, hurtful and painful but you think you love that person, you have to sort that out.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know? I, I, I'm glad that you said that because, because I don't want people to think that we're saying, I mean, that's the thing. There's there's such a culture built around, around thinking you need somebody to tell you what to do that a lot of times when we have podcasts yeah. like this, people are saying, oh, you're telling me I should stay with these people? Right. right. No, that is not what we're saying at all. We're saying that that each person is unique and each situation is unique. I broke up with a boyfriend six months before I stopped drinking and drugging because it was the relationship, not so much that it was tied around substance use. We had been together on and off since we were like nine, 10 years old. Um, He was the, literally the boy next door and, and I loved him deeply um, and still care about him to this day, you know, but the relationship was not positive. It was mutually abusive Um, and, and so even, even in my drunken state, most of the time I knew this relationship is not a good relationship. This is, this is not good for me. Um, and, and so, so yeah, you're going to know when you're, when you're shedding that lifestyle, when you get to that point where you're like, I am so ready to change, you're going to, you're going to know what to take with you and what not to, but it doesn't have to be tied to this
1: makes me drink yeah, or that makes me drink. That's so important. What you just said. It's not a matter of it. There is, and this is why people need to read causes versus reasons. in in our book, if you don't understand the difference between a reason to drink and a cause, AA is completely predicated on you are caused to behave. You are caused to drink by all kinds of life factors. And that you can't trust your own mind. Now, there, there that's a cause where you are caused to behave. You, have, you are compelled beyond your free will. A reason is your reasoning. Yes. Okay, you're reasoning out reasons with your positive drive principle and your autonomy and your individuality to say, I think I want to drink in this way or I want to stay in that relationship even though he beats me because I get a little bit of love. Okay, well, let's challenge that. Let's say maybe you could have more love with somebody that doesn't hurt you, right? That has nothing to do with drinking. Mm-mm. Or maybe you have a relationship that's really bad and you drink. And and like I did, right? It's just not the best relationship. Drinking was the Me glue. Too. And suddenly when you take the alcohol out of the equation, there's not much left. So you So you leave. So you leave. My point is we are problem-solving creatures and it's not... It's not like you need to be told what to do. Your positive drive, your desire to be happier will guide you out of a lot of bad situations. Now, that's not to say uh, you shouldn't take advice from people, but I'll tell you what. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't take a whole hell of a lot of advice from a sponsor in AA whose life is predicated on, I need to be in meeting rooms because I can't live in the real world and I suck at it. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to lead your life too.
0: Right, right. I can't trust my
1: own thinking, but I'm going to tell you how you should think. I mean, it's it's the worst of all para- pyramid schemes. I mean, it's so insane that they tell you you need a sponsor and that you have to listen to that person because that person was told they can't think by the previous person. And that person was told they can't think by the previous person. What that builds is a very narrow top of guru's that's how everybody had to live their life. It's designed to eliminate your problem-solving capability. Get the hell out of that and start thinking for yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's and I was I was going to go down that guru rabbit hole because if you just just briefly if you really look into the lives of some of the the biggest gurus in these programs um, their lives are questionable at best. Yeah. And their, motives um, their are morals terrible. and their values. They're a predators. lot of times they're predators. They're predators. Um, and Not all, not all. Look at, look at my dad ended up being a guru um, in a, but you know, the thing was, we uh, did too. Yeah, we did too. Yep. And the thing was, is though we are, our, our motives were, were, were to truly help people. And so, so we, really were because our motives were to help people we were really paying attention to yeah w- like the things we were telling people and how those people were doing
1: yeah I I feel bad about the early years the first probably 10 as we were walking out of the cult because it was it was a we process were so indoctrinated yeah it was a process of learning and the people we were teaching were were indoctrinated already too because we attracted that that clientele. Yeah. Um and I think that but I think that because we had thrown out the powerlessness there was enough truth there that the rest of it people almost didn't listen to thank god. And and after a while I got tired of trying to lead people's lives and I said I I, I don't oh, know yeah. I got my own life to lead you know. So well that was the thing too we out. were
0: growing up trying to figure out how to how to navigate this and and Build the lives that we wanted personally, which honestly didn't involve, like, I got to the point where I was like, I don't know what's best for you. Like, why are you coming to me to ask me if you should date this guy or, you know, get this job? Or like, how do I know that? I have no way of knowing that. And and then people would be like, Well, you know, I I'm I'm afraid of drinking. And I'm like, like that didn't make sense to me.
1: What was the movie? With Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, they wrote it. Goodwill Hunting.
0: Goodwill Hunting.
1: Goodwill Hunting. Although it's fictional, had a really they they did a great job of writing that movie as a couple of young guys. It's pretty mm-hmm. pretty impressive. I think their best work. And uh, I'm not huge fans of them, but but that movie hit me because I, I was kind of like the dude <laughs> Matt Damon in in a certain way, um, always in trouble and and tortured. But the end of the movie was really, really freaking good because the psychiatrist, Robin Williams, yeah, basically his whole mission, if you watch that movie, was he didn't give advice. And God, it was so well done. That script was so well done because uh, he just told stories. He related. And then what did he tell uh, the main character there? <clears throat> Will, he said, go chase the girl. Just leave and just go live your life and take a risk. Go, just go. And it, but I loved it because at the time we were leaving AA at that time when That's that movie right. came out, and I was figuring things out and I was like, that movie made sense because I, I I started being like, I don't need to run people's lives. No, this AA shit is crazy, and and. And then the last scene is him leaving in a car, you know, to go chase the girl, and and you don't know what happens. But the point is, that's life. It's organic, folks. It's evolution. It's you have a mind, you have a positive drive. Go live, get the hell out of meetings. You don't need the structure. You don't need somebody telling you how to live. You just need to figure out what makes you happy, truly, and take chances and swing the bat
0: and swing the bat. That's it. That's it. And I know we're making this sound like. Oh, it's all easy and and wonderful. And look at life is is organic is a good way to put it. I mean, you're going to take chances. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to struggle. That's part of life. And there is no way to build a life That is perfection.
1: Yeah, without pain. Are you kidding?
0: There's no way. So you're going to experience these difficulties in life. And if you still tie, boy, I think alcohol, uh, you know, I think getting drunk tonight can solve this problem for me or help me to escape or, or do these kinds of things. If you still believe that. Well, then you're gonna go for it, right? You're gonna you're gonna want to drink all the time if your life is difficult, and you tie those together. So that's why the freedom model is so important, because because we debunk all of that, all of that. You you're not gonna want what you know doesn't serve you well.
1: Yeah. So you have to you have to get rid of the drug power mythology that it has some sort of capacity to fix your problems for you first. And if you do that, then the alcohol equation or the drug equation is taken out of the equation. It is now what you're left with is, is just you're a person trying to figure out how to be happy, and maybe you want to be more purpose driven. Maybe you want to have a new career. Maybe maybe you just want drugs out of your life because you have a good life. Yeah. We we find that that's the majority of people, to be honest. Yeah, our research shows that, and it showed it for thirty some odd years. Most people aren't looking for some grand you know, big purpose. What they're looking for is I I want to stop putting a needle in my arm so that I can be with my kids again. Yeah. You know, and, um, we have worked literally with thousands of people who have
0: good marriages, who had good childhoods, who, who had good careers. They've been successful in their careers and they just still had this, this overblown
1: romanticized view of drugs.
0: Yep. And, and so they still really liked getting high and it was still negatively impacting their lives. And, and they couldn't figure it out because boy,
1: all, everybody talks about, oh, you must have a shitty life you must well, have a shitty life and and heroin solves your problems it's a, you you self medicate it medicates your mental and emotional status i mean well, talk about a myth that's going to be powerful in your yeah. life if you believe that it, you're self medicating life's pain in your mind and if you believe in the powerlessness myth- mythology Boy, um, now it's on steroids
0: yeah which is which is really really problematic now um with opiates because there is so like it's it the mythology is on both ends where where you know oh if you if you even get prescribed opiates you're going to you're going to be hooked on them and oh and by the way they are like a warm blanket
1: yeah and yeah. It, it's it's neither of those things that's neither right. of those things are true that's right and so by by understanding the truth about it you don't need treatment all of a sudden you don't need all this recovery apparatus you don't need to you may not need to change your life what you may need to do is just challenge that Belief that the drug is this marvelous or demonic thing. Yeah. It's neither. It's it's lifeless and you're using it based on the beliefs that you were given. And if those beliefs are wrong, you can only hurt yourself. And that's why you've been struggling.
0: Yep. And that's why people, places, and things become irrelevant. Sorry. When you believe, when you know the truth about substances. And you realize that they don't have the powers that you thought they did. And maybe they're not
1: as wonderful as you thought they were. People, places, and things become irrelevant. I want to end with one thing. And that is if people, places, and things, if you live in a drug world, you may find that when you challenge the drug and it no longer serves you, you just won't want to be around those people. But it has nothing to do with requirement. It has nothing to do with your sobriety. You just may find you don't have anything in common. Yeah. That's the way I want to tie this up. That's normal. Yeah.
0: That's just growing out of it, moving past that lifestyle.
1: That's right. That culture. If I if I was still racing BMX like I did when I was a kid, I'd be traveling with kids that race BMX, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when you stop riding bicycles and you get cars, you don't go to the BMX track anymore. I mean, it, it, we do that. That's organic evolution, right? allow yourself to have organic evolution when it comes to the drunk, drinking and drug world too. Absolutely.
0: So we're, we, I, think we, I think we covered this very well, but look at, if you are still struggling, if you've done the whole thing, if you've left all of your friends behind and then you got all these recovery people and now that's not working for you because now you're in and out and in and out. That's so right. now you have, that's what happens. What happens is people end up with nobody they end up with nobody because you've left the the all your past friends behind and then now your new recovery friends won't talk to you because you're because you're relapsing because you're in and out and they're blaming you for it the freedom model can help you and and like like you have no idea how it can help you to figure this stuff out and realize number 1 i don't have to be alone Sorry. number 2 i have total control over my life. And, and those people, those recovery people that are making like the friendship conditional, I don't need those people in my life
1: either. They're abusive people. They're not nice people. Yeah. Allow organic evolution to take place, but you can't do that if you have all the mythology. So get the book or get coaching. Yes. or get get uh, our complete addiction solution program, come and meet with Michelle and I. Yeah, We'll do a workshop in two days and we'll get rid of all the mythology that's keeping you tied to AA, to your drinking, drugging, and that whole lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And your whole world will open up to you. And, and let me tell you something,
0: true freedom is worth a relatively minimal effort you're going to have to put into it to, to, to get to it. Okay? And everything
1: we do is one-on-one yeah, so, and yeah. confidential.
0: So you can sign up for the masterclass. We have an online program. We have private coaching and we have our complete addiction solution. So go to freedommodel.org and check all those services out and register for our masterclass if you haven't already.
1: All right, everybody have a great day.
0: Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? That's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the freedom model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic, and we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.